Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Hi, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here and welcome to episode number 20 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out on the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. If you're a beginner, maybe a wee bit like me, or just getting into mountain biking or a seasoned pro, this show is for you. We won't fanbazzle you, if that is even a word, uh, with technical jargon, just straightforward conversations and information. So I hope you enjoy. Now, this week's episode is very good. It's another part of our East African series that we are doing with Simon Blake. And Simon was kind enough to come on the podcast and chat about everything mountain biking there in East Africa. Simon is a big part of that scene out there and is the sports and MTB development officer um, for that area. So he knows his stuff, he knows what he's talking about and he knows the different players within that area. So we chat to Simon a lot about um, what's happening in East Africa as far as biking goes, how he's helping develop teams out there uh, and get things moving. We also chat about the the different equipment that is required out there and why a hardtail or even a full rigid, believe it or not, is better than a full sus for the trails them guys are riding. Um, We chat to Simon a wee bit about what races are happening out there, the kind of trails you're riding on and how the local people help and get involved and if it is actually helping communities out there because mountain biking Though it's been about, it still is relatively young out there, but it's starting to pick up pace and starting to get uh, very popular. So we chat to him about that and and how it's helping um, local communities, if indeed it is at at all. Um, So it's very interesting. We also chat to him a wee bit about Brian Kennedy, BKXC. At the time of uh, us doing the interview, Brian Kennedy from his YouTube channel, BKXC, um, who, if you don't know, has hundreds of thousands of followers there um, and, and videos the best trails in the world. So you you guys and, and myself and anybody else that wants to can go onto his YouTube channel and watch him biking these trails. Um, so he was actually out there at the time of the interview, just in a slightly different area with a young fellow called Adam Davis, who you will hear Simon chatting about. Um, He will be on the podcast um, in a few weeks' time. So um, we'll find out how Brian got on with Adam out there. So it's quite a good uh, episode. Um, I already have it recorded, but it's not going to be out for a few weeks. Um, So that's the episode today, folks. I hope you really enjoy. Um, And now I just want to, before we go ahead with that, I just want to fill you in on if you have listened to or been following the podcast, um, a number of episodes ago, I started a, um, a training program to help me get fitter and help me enjoy riding and getting on the trails um, a wee bit more enjoyable for myself. It's called the Ultimate MTB Workout Program and it um, is done by a guy called James Wilson. His website is bikejames.com. He was on episode number 16 of the podcast if you want to check that out. There's also links in the show notes there to his training program and to his episode so you can go back and check that out. I just wanted to let you guys know how I was getting on because I know a few are following my progress. Um, I'm at about week six now and it 
definitely has stepped up a gear from the first four weeks. It's kind of done in different phases. So phase one is the first month. Phase two is is the second month. I'm about halfway through phase two. Definitely has stepped up. Um, a wee bit more difficult, but still nothing crazy. Um, it, you know, all the exercises and everything are still very doable. It's still all about mobility, getting the body moving in the correct ways to help on your bike. And I've been out in the bike a good handful of times since um, starting the the training course, and I must say it definitely is helping. I can feel. I feel just stronger in the bike, more confident in the bike. Um, I tend to give myself more separation between my body and the bike and let the bike do do what it needs to do. And I I know physically I I can deal with that now. So it definitely is helping. I will say that for sure. Um, And hopefully there'll be a wee bit more on this to come in the future. I'm going to stick at it. It's getting me in the gym. It's making me eat better. It's uh, just making me think about the whole thing of even though I, I probably get out in the bike once or twice a week max, it's helping me uh, get on the trails. I'm, I'm, it's getting me more motivated to get out in the trails. I really do appreciate everything that James has done as far as that goes. It really is great. And um, he's helped me along. And we'll have him on the podcast chatting about that in the near future as well, answering some of the questions I have or some of the problems I'm having with the training. Um, so keep listening, keep involved, and you'll hear more about that. If you're, if you're wanting to get fitter, enjoying your time on the trails a bit more, uh, this definitely something you can look at. So there's links in the show notes, as I say, you can click through and read and have a wee bit more information at hand there. So thank you folks for being here. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoy today's episode with Simon Blake. Simon, how are you doing? Welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. It's awesome to have you here today. So you've had quite an interesting few days uh, bikepacking across East Africa there. Do you want to tell us a wee bit about that before we get into anything? Yeah, hi Gareth. Um, yeah, at the moment I'm in Sippy Falls in Uganda, on the uh, probably the the lower end of Mount Elgon, and I have a mate who's putting on a cross country and enduro mountain bike race this weekend on some pretty gnarly trails in Uganda. So I live about 300 kilometres away, and so a friend and I, uh, or George and I, decided that we would ride to the event as opposed to driving in the car. And uh, we took sort of not the most direct route um, back through some the Cherangani Hills and then up and over and around the base of Mount Elgon. And, um, yeah, the views are spectacular, pretty rough, small roads that I just plotted on Google Earth and put them into the GPS so we could get off the main beaten path and get on some, yeah, really, really small rural roads, even little bits of single track. And um, we covered, I think... 7,000 metres of climbing over 300 kilometres, so we definitely went up and down quite a lot. Um, some of the downs were awesome and some of the ups really hurt. <laughs> but it was a it was an awesome trip and some of the views on the, the whole trip, but the last day was just spectacular. Mm-hmm. I had to keep reminding myself not to take too many photos because we were on a bit of a time limit because mm-hmm. the, yeah, the last day was 90K and it was pretty slow going because the road was so rough. Um, parts of it were like a flow track, which is heaps of fun, and you could overtake all the cars and motorbikes. But um, it was um, yeah, it was still pretty remote. There wasn't a lot of traffic on that road. Um, but yeah, well worth doing. It, it was a hard trip, but it was pretty awesome. And yeah, the the scenery is just oh, amazing, mm-hmm. real African scenery, and that was pretty cool. 
And you were saying earlier there that you, you, you travelled pretty light. You didn't have to take that much with you on the bike and stuff because you could stay at, at local areas and things. Can you tell us just a wee bit about the locals there and how you managed to do that? Yeah, for sure. So we travelled as light as possible and both just rode hardtail mountain bikes. And we wanted to enjoy the riding and if we hit some good single track. And a lot of the dirt roads over here are really badly built, which is not good for a car, but it's a whole lot of fun on a mountain bike. And... Um, so we essentially wore one set of cycling kit every day and washed it every night, one set of clothing for the evening, and then a few little spare parts and some electrolytes and whatever else we needed. So we could travel as light as possible, and I just had like a Revel 8 Designs um, saddlebag and the sort of, I think it's a one-quarter frame bag and a little gas tank near the stem, and then we just ate local all the way and then stayed in local accommodation, which was uh, the first night was actually pretty rough but pretty cheap, uh, and the next two nights the accommodation was good. And it doesn't cost that much money. I think the most we spent one night was 20 bucks, and mm-hmm. then the other night I think it was about $4 each, so you get what you pay for. Um, but, yeah, like it's so accessible and there's little kiosks and small centres all the way, like pretty much everywhere in Africa, unless you go very, very remote into the more desert areas, that there is little centres and villages all over the place. And if you don't mind drinking sweet um, chai and having chapatis and eating bananas, then you can survive on the road for quite a long way and, and sustain yourself. So you don't have to pack a lot of stuff. You don't have to think too much about the food as long as you're happy to eat local. And most of the local food here is pretty good like it's not um it's nothing spectacular and it's not the the best tasting food you'll ever have but most of it's pretty fresh it's pretty healthy and um as long as there's other people eating in the restaurant you know it's pretty good the locals are there and and so and i've been here for long enough now i think my stomach can handle it (laughs) um but most of the time i think yeah if you if you choose well then most of the food's pretty clean and relatively nutritious so um so yeah it just makes it really nice to be able to travel as light as possible so you can enjoy the ride more and if you want to hit some single track and like the highest point we got to was 3180 meters i think above sea level Mm -hmm. and we had to definitely hike the bike up the mountain it was super steep single track but then we got to enjoy it was a really long sort of slim ridge line of a mountain and once we got up the top then we could just bomb it down the other side, and that was heaps of fun. That was a really, really nice single track with amazing views off both sides, and then back on the dirt roads. And we spent the majority of the trip on dirt roads. Um, some of them smooth, some of them really, really rough. Um, but it made yeah for quite enjoyable riding. Mm-hmm. And how how much time would you have spent in the saddle throughout the day? We were getting up. I think we would we probably got out on the bike at about nine nine thirty averaged, and we would get in at about between four till six. So we were on the bike. What's that? Nine to yeah, probably like eight hours a day, mm-hmm. with lunch in between. I think yeah, it was three hundred kilometres in total, with seven thousand metres of climbing. And on the first day was sixty five, the second was seventy. Third day was 50-something, and the last day was 90. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just because the road conditions. And then we would stop every day for lunch for between half an hour to an hour, just chill out and, you know, enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And then we'd probably stop for at least two or three chai and chapati stops on the way 
Um, there was a number of times we couldn't buy clean water on the way, but generally you can always get chai and um, mm. or a cup of tea, like really milky tea. So it still hydrates you. So I was like, yeah, cool. We'll stop here and have chai instead of a cup of a bottle of water. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like for myself, I only ever buy the bottle of water or treat it myself back at home just because um, I don't trust the rivers and yeah. there's some weird stuff going around in Africa, so it's better to just drink the bottled water. Yeah, and and what's what's the locals like there when you're travelling through? I, I take it they wouldn't see many kind of bike packers going through their villages and stuff, so are, are they quite welcoming and, and uh, does everything go okay like that way? Yeah, yeah, so like especially on the trip we did, we were very much a novelty uh, and even still where I ride closer to E10, the town that I live in, there's not a lot of people riding mountain bikes and I do tend to explore quite a bit on my bike. So I'm not, there's not a lot of the people that have done it. Um, funnily enough, just before I left a lady that had just ridden from, she was from Taiwan, about 55 years of age, had ridden from South Africa up to Kenya in over about nine months and it was amazing. I know, like it was, she hardly knew anything about a bike, and but she's out there. She's just having a go and just decided to do it. And we asked her, like, what what advice would you give people if you wanted to go do a bike trip like this? And she goes, just go. Yeah. Like, don't question it. Don't think it. Just get it. You learn stuff on the way. And she was carrying way too much stuff. She was even offloading at my house stuff that she didn't need at all. But Jeez. And she'd been given some probably some good advice and she'd been given some really bad advice by people along the way is what you did need but yeah we fixed a bike up for her and uh hopefully put her back on the way her front brake was completely shot to pieces but i think i fixed it for her and she was pretty lucky because no one there's not many people outside of the capital city that actually know how to fix hydraulic brakes on a mountain bike so she Mm -hmm. was pretty lucky she ran into me and then um just a couple of months ago some a guy cycling around the world um, had come up from South Africa and stopped in Kenya, found me, I think, on warm showers or couch surfing, and he stopped in for a couple of days, checked out the cycling team, and we had you know a couple of meals together, and he had some amazing stories about his trip through Africa. And again, he was pretty, he was actually on a bamboo frame bike. It was pretty heavy, but he was he was pretty clued on to what he was doing, and um, just his all his maps were on Google Maps. He just carried a super simple little smartphone and didn't have any maps with him at all and did everything on Google. And I was like, wow, dude. So he wouldn't want to run out of batteries. But <laughs> <laughs> but at the same, yeah, as long as I think in the morning, if you you know get on, turn Google on, like, all right, cool, I'm going to Kapanguri, I'm going to Capchawar. As long as you know the destination town that you've got to get to that night or vaguely that direction, then I think you can just ask locals and they'll generally, yeah, like you're still a bit of a novelty, they're happy. Um, you get a lot of how are you, Mzungu. Mzungu means white man in mm-hmm. um, a lot of the local languages in this area. So, yeah, you get it like all the time. Mzungu, how are you? Mzungu, how are you? Mzungu, how are you? But <laughs> it's just, you know, part of the fun in a way. Don't let it get you down. Yeah. And, um, like, it's funny when you go past a primary school, the entire school, especially if they're out playing sports in the field, will run to the fence and every single kid will ask you the same question at the same time and, it can be really funny at times, like, you know, hundreds of kids just screaming at you as you're riding past. So, and most of the time, like, I know a bit of Swahili, obviously, from living here for long enough, and 
I think if you go in with a friendly attitude and try not to get angry, even if you're tired and down or whatever, and just try and be friendly, then most of the time you get a pretty friendly response um, or just a, an, an, like a non-aggressive response. And there's been a few times in the six years I've lived here that I've had some less than favourable sort of encounters with people, but, you know, just be a bit smart and mm. just try and slowly walk your way out of it. Don't try and be too aggressive and... But then other times you've got to stand your ground and, um, yeah, like I read a book about this guy that did a lot of adventures in Africa and it was I really loved it. And part of the book was about how he would walk into a room of on a, at a border crossing or these big men or military guys that he'd come across and as soon as he walked in, he was sussing out, which angle do I take? Do I tell the, feel sorry for the white guy mentality? Do I take the big strong guy? Do I take the adventure one? Do I take, oh, let's have a cigarette together? Do I <laughs> just playing, the, like trying to read the play so that he could come out with the best outcome possible without getting these guys angry or getting ripped off being the white man because you're supposed to have heaps of money. And, um, yeah, generally people are, are relatively happy to see us, I'd say, because it's still a novelty and, yeah. And a lot of, like, even on this trip, we only did 300 kilometres over four days. Like, it's nothing amazing. But they just couldn't believe where we'd come from. Like, oh, my friend, where have you come from today? And oh, I'd come from Swam. From Swam? And where are you going? <laughs> going to Sippy 4. You are going to Sippy. Ah, oh, my friend. How are we on this bicycle? On the bike, you're on the bicycle. You. <laughs> but do you think you will make it, my friend? Ah, oh, we will be. Ah, oh, you are, my friend. Ah. Oh. You are trying. Oh. <laughs> so they're just, they're amazed that anyone would go to those lengths to, like, you are riding your bicycle all that way. And, and then the, the next question is generally why? Why are you riding your bicycle? Like, you are paying no money. You are, you're not getting paid to do this. You know, mm-hmm. and it's actually really changed my point of view on adventure sports. When, you know, back in Australia, I'd love surfing, skiing, ride my bike, kayaking. And I feel like if I wasn't out doing something, I was wasting a day of my life. But then yeah. I get here and I meet people that don't know what a mountain bike is. Well, they've never seen one before. They don't. They've never seen a surfboard, a pair of skis, a parachute, a kayak. They don't. They don't even know. They've never seen it in a newspaper, a television, magazine. Mm. So they don't even know what those things are. And you're like, but that lady there, she looks relatively happy, and she's got a family and a little mud hut. And so if all the things that apparently keep me happy, she doesn't even know about. It's like, well. Maybe I'm doing something wrong, or it's just yeah. maybe there's other ways of, and it isn't happening. Yeah, it's just it makes you really think about life very differently, and mm-hmm. and even a lot of the time where I live, there's not a lot of guys to ride with other than the guys in the team, and they're all better than me, so I can't keep up. <laughs> and so a lot of time on a Sunday, I'll go for a ride alone, and people in the compound are saying, "Oh, where are you going?" And oh, I might go to Singore Forest, and I will ride here, and and then where are you going after that? Oh, I'll come back home. And how long would this take? Or maybe three hours. So you are starting here, you go to there and you come back to here. And what are you doing on the way? I'm just riding my bike. Yeah. Why? Because <laughs> I enjoy it. It keeps me fit. I'm generally happier. But you could just stay here and drink chai with us and drink tea. Yes, mm-hmm. I could. But then maybe I become fat and unhappy. <laughs> but you, you, And you're like, yeah, actually, like they've got a point. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go ride my bike there. And, but, and the, but I think it keeps me happy and healthier and a better person to be around. But it has made me really think about, well, I don't have to be out there all the time smashing myself or yeah. doing something gnarly. But at the same time, I think it keeps me happier, so I keep doing it. And, and um, But, yeah, it's just a good way to – it's really twisted my brain around often. 
It's like, yeah, yeah it's I don't good. know, actually. <laughs> no, it's good. Yeah. And, and certainly, and I want to speak to you a wee bit about um, what you're doing there for cycling in Africa and mountain biking as well and the, and the pump tracks and how, how that all got involved. But you're there this weekend at uh, an XC and enduro race, but if you hadn't have been, you'd have been riding with Brian Kennedy um, from BKXC, who's got the big YouTube channel, hundreds of thousands of followers. So he's actually in, in Kenya at the minute riding. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed in some ways, and I'm up here at Sippy Falls, and uh, Brian's down in Kajabi. It's only a few, it's only a couple hundred kilometres from here. Um, so I met some guys sort of earlier this year, and I've heard about these guys sort of word of mouth through other cyclists in Kenya, uh, Richard and Adam Davis. And Richard is one of the doctors at one of the very successful hospitals at Kajabi, and his son, Adam, is about 16 years and goes to one of the, the schools in Kajabi. Um, and I think Richard's lived there for about 10 years and obviously in that time has ridden his mountain bike a lot and has found nearly all the trails that are good around the Kajabi area. And I remember he telling me like years ago he used to pull Adam up the hills with a bit of rope tied to his seat post to Adam's stem pull him all the way up to the top of the hill, take the rope off, and then they just ride back down together to the point now where he can't keep up with Adam on anything, climbs, descents, drops, jumps, and Adam is just going from strength to strength. He's a really lovely kid. He's super nice, super humble, but at the same time, like put him on a bike and he just lights up the trails, stoppies everywhere. He jumps off every single thing there is to jump off. What age would he be? Um, he's 16 years of age. Right. And he, yeah, he found out about Brian, obviously, through the internet and uh, has watched a lot of Brian's stuff. And I think Adam actually teaches himself quite a bit of riding through the internet because mm-hmm. he doesn't really have many people other than his dad and a few other expats to ride with. And there's a few locals uh, riding in Kajabi, but not too many. And uh, But, yeah, the quality of his riding, he must be watching stuff on the internet and mimicking it himself and then... He has made some pretty cool YouTube and Facebook stuff himself with GoPros and his phone and cameras. Mm-hmm. So he sent that over to Brian and then Brian was pretty excited and was like, yeah, cool. So he's made his way over to East Africa and there's mm-hmm. a small chance I'll catch Brian just at the end of his trip before he flies out. So I'm here this weekend and I've got quite a few meetings in Nairobi about uh, bike racing and stuff. So hopefully I can stop on the way in Kajabi and, and catch up and see what Brian's all about and go yeah, for a ride because Kajabi's got some really cool trails on the edge of the Rift Valley and there's really good elevation and the population density is high, high enough that um, there's just enough amount of people living there that there's a lot of walking trails between place to place to the shops, to the farm, to wherever mm-hmm. and um, through some of the forests or open plain areas but on a big slope and and, yeah, Adam and Richard know them all, and they've got really cool names for every single track. So, um, yeah, it's really good fun to go ride with those guys. So I'd imagine that they're showing Brian around, and he's having a hell of a time. I think he'd be quite surprised. And and in some ways, he's only just touching the surface of East African mountain yeah. biking because he's in a really small place. Um, and there's just there's mountain biking all over the place. You've just got to find it, and that's... In some ways, the exciting part and the really cool part of it that a lot of the time you go out for a ride in a new area, it's a massive adventure. You have no idea really what's there, mm-hmm. as even if you spend a lot of time on Google Earth plotting trails. 
Um, and sometimes it's no good, and other times they're amazing and really, really cool. So, and I think I'm really enjoying that. That the, yeah, I love a good trail, but at the same time, it's the adventure and the first descent of a certain trail, or even the rivers over here as well. So, but yeah, there's lots and lots of adventure to, still to be had in East Africa. Massive yeah. amounts. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Mm. So, tell us a wee bit. Simon, about what you do there in East Africa, uh, what your kind of job title is. Yeah, so I work for the Kenyan Riders Safari Com cycling team. Uh, at the moment, I'm sort of like coach, skills development and talent identification and development. Um, we have another guy that's pretty much full-time coach in E10, which is the, the home of champions where most of the best uh, distance runners or all the Kenyans that you see on the television winning all the marathons and stuff come from or train in and it's just this little town's got itself a name and the runners all live there and so that attracts more runners um, so we've essentially trying to take the the amazing distance running talent that you see in the marathons and the Olympics on the track and cross country and transfer some of that onto the bicycle because uh you up until just lately with a few aerotrains and the Tour de France, you don't see black people at the highest level in international cycling, even though the endurance talent in this place is phenomenal. Like you, I see it every day, just little tasks that kids do, women carrying water, old men walking places. But, yeah, and then just the guys running, like it's just phenomenal. The depth of talent here is amazing. Um, and so we're trying to transfer that and in a way – giving people another opportunity through another sport because there is high unemployment. Sometimes you've got to know a person to get a job um, and, yeah, and you don't always get paid that well for your jobs. The education system's a bit lacking. So it's so in some ways, becoming a, a professional runner is a good idea. Um, so we're trying to, yeah, take that talent and put it on a bike and it's, it is working but really, really slowly. Uh, and then this year especially, we're really trying to push our more development programs. I'll be trying to get into as many schools as possible with like a RevBox home trainer. And they, yeah, that uses air resistance, so there's not a lot of inertia on the RevBox. So that's why we want to take that in and just use an old road bike and we'll modify a few little bits so it just becomes super solid. And then uh, we're getting some 4 power meters that we're going to stick on to the bike and so I can get numbers off kids and just go from secondary school to secondary school to secondary school and just test boys between 15 to 20 years and obviously it's only numbers it doesn't tell us if they're strong in the head if they're smart if they're mm. determined if they want to race at all but at least we start with some numbers that are sort of okay-ish and then from there yeah time will tell if if the young person's got it or if they even want it at all because um, we've been through a lot of young guys in the cycling team and the best cyclists, road cyclists in Kenya at the moment, it'd probably be 15th to 20th most talented guy in the country. And, but at the, currently, he is easily the best in the nation. Um, and he's an amazing young guy. He has a very, very strong head. He's come from yeah, a pretty bad background of a very, very drunk family. And for whatever reason, he could see that, you know, if he doesn't do something, he will end up like all these other people that he's surrounded by. And I don't know how he did it, actually, but he taught himself English. He was pulled out of school. 
before, before the end of primary school, but his English is per- like I talk to him, like I talk to my mum and dad, like perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, and in some ways, the team is very, very lucky to have him because he, in some ways, because he's so determined to make it happen, has taught the team certain things about cycling. He looks it up on the internet. He knows all the best cyclists in the world. He knows what they do. He follows their training and... So, yeah, he's a great guy. So, Suleiman, and he just got a third place in the Tour of Rwanda, which is probably the biggest uh, road cycling race in Africa. And it's super competitive amongst all the East African teams now. Uh, it was won by Rwandan, second place Eritrea, third place was Suleiman, um, Kenyan guy. And he's actually, we've partnered up with a continental, um, essentially third division team from Germany. Um, that hopes to go pro Conti in probably two years. And, yeah, Solomon's now riding for them, so he's getting more race experience in Europe and also in Asia. So, yeah, he's slowly plugging away. His numbers aren't great, but however he does it, he just puts himself in the right place at the right time. I think he can hurt a lot as well. Mm-hmm. And he really reads races and he's training well, and so he gets the most out of himself every single time and, so that's, that's, they're the types of guys that, that keep us going because we, we get let down so often here in Africa and it's extremely frustrating at times mm-hmm. and quite challenging. But when you've got guys like Sully, it's like, well, you know, <laughs> that guy has come a long way to get where he is and hopefully we can take him a bit further. And, and now we do have a path that is available to an East African if they are determined enough and they can get essentially get themselves there because in the past there wasn't really – a path available to East Africans to get to the top of world cycling and sort of for whatever reason. Um, but, yeah, he's making it work, and there's a few other young guys on the team that we've got four signed to the German team now. Mm-hmm. And, it's um, yeah, it's good. It's slow, but it's getting there. And what's the end goal for, for these guys, Simon, and, and yourselves as coaches? What What's the end goal? What, what are you trying to achieve? Yeah, cool. So... Nicholas, who founded the team, started it to get a predominantly a black team to the Tour de France, and that was his like his main inspiration initially, and it probably still is the main goal, and a lot of things have changed over the eight years since Nick started the team. Um, but and, and Nick, he, he funds it. It's all privately funded. It's not, it's not government funded in any way, or it's all funded just via Nick and, and privately, really. Yeah, so Nick initially funded the team. He had some like a crazy idea that he could run a little East African cycling team and take the, the distance running talent, put on a bike. And um, he did a few things early on, like a time trial up Alpe d'Huez and brought some of the Kenyans over and some other funny races to just try and get noticed and then hopefully would attract a sponsor. And luckily he did enough of the right things he was he actually is a professional photographer commercial photographer and luckily he had done a job for this finance company so they'd met him before as a a professional photographer and then they saw an article about him in a magazine in singapore and a french man who lives in singapore got in contact or nick got in contact with him and nick was able to convince him that yeah surely like in three years with the amount of talent they have in distance training, they have to make it on the bike for sure. Mm. And that was like eight years ago and <laughs> nowhere mm. near the Tour de France yet. Um, but, yeah, the guy that's funding – so Nick funded it himself initially and pretty much just ran out of money. 
and luckily at the right time, another guy called Matthew, who yeah, works in finance, and is in, it says he's an investor in the team, that if we ever do make it, uh, our media value will be really high because we're so different to any other cycling team. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we get sponsorship out of that, and through that money goes back into his investment. Um, but if it ever happens, we don't know. Like it's not a good financial investment, but he he has sailed around the world with his family, Matthew. So he knows there's more to life than just counting beans. Yeah, and um, and he knows at the moment he's giving people like Suleiman the opportunity to, you know, to go a real, real long way, like as far as he can go, and it's giving me an opportunity to live quite a different life. Uh, and a whole lot of young people in Africa and, and just develop a sport that oh, there's a lot of bikes in East Africa, but there's not a lot of competitive cycling uh, except in Eritrea. And the Italians went in there many years ago and tried to colonize Eritrea and didn't really work, but apparently left the love of pasta, coffee and bike racing. So there's a lot of young boys in Eritrea racing bikes. And I've been told it's their most popular sport. Like in mm. Kenya, the number one sport is football. Everyone mm. has a football team here, generally a Premier League team. And um, but in Eritrea, it's yeah, it's cycling, and mm. um, the cyclists are quite famous. And that's why, at the moment in Africa, Eritrea is number one just because of sheer numbers. And mm. Eritreans are talented, uh, very similar people to the Ethiopians. And there's been a few good marathon runners come out of Eritrea and Ethiopia. But Ethiopia has also been through a civil war and the country's super poor and there's not a lot of freedom of speech. and So there's issues, but the young guys know this and a way out for an Eritrean is through riding a bike. Mm. So for them, a big motivation is do well on your bike and you can ride for a European team, get paid a small European wage. And Daniel mm. Tekleheimenot, who won the polka dot jersey a couple of years ago for a few days in the Tour de France, like he'd be on good money. And like for an train, he'd be killing it. So yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's definitely you know worth putting in the effort because he's been rewarded. So yeah. if that's what you yeah. want, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a wee bit about mountain biking then in Africa and <clears throat> about the gear and stuff. So what what's the equipment like the guys are using out there when, when they mountain bike? I'm sure they're not all running around with full suspension bikes and stuff. Can you tell us a wee bit about that and and the challenges you, you have there? Yeah, for sure. Like this is it's a massive topic, and so like for myself, I've got two single speeds: one for rigid, one's just a hard tire with a 120 mil fork on the front. I've got a geared like two by ten hard tail, uh, and then a cyclocross bike. Obviously, I work with a road team, uh, and I've just bought myself over a dual suspension bike that I do need to do a bit of work on. Then it'll be up and going. But I'm also going to experiment with like a coil-only fork and a coil-only shock and even like mm. some Avid BB7 brakes just to make this bike as bomb-proof as possible. Probably one like a 1x10, put a big bash guard on it. So it's like, you know, really simplifying even a dual suspension mountain bike mm. um, so that I can take it anywhere and it has less problems because it's really hard to get spare parts here. There's There's bike shops in East Africa, but not bike shops as we know them back in in essentially the western world and you can buy bikes here but they're generally expensive because of all the taxes and then it's really hard to get spare parts like i can't go in and buy a rental bar i can't go in and buy crank brothers pedal i just have to buy what yeah. they've got and quite often they don't even have spare parts or they might have tires and chains and that's it 
So there's a, I know a lot of guys call it here muling. So I'll let you know, have a mule to come in from Europe, USA, from Australia. Like, oh, mate, you're flying out, you're coming back. Can you pick me up a couple of pairs of pedals? Can you pick up a saddle? Oh, can you get me a chain? Oh, I need a new brake. Oh, I need brake pads. So there's guys, stuff going in and out all the time and you just get good at talking your way through customs when you come in at the airport. And, um, but there's every single variety of bike from like $60, brand spanking new, out of the supermarket here in Kenya and Uganda, Tanzania, right up to guys, like expats working in mining or the government or NGOs mm-hmm. that are getting paid some really good money and they're riding like $8,000 full carbon XTR or even their road bikes are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's funny, when you turn up to a lot of the local Kenyan mountain bike races, there's these young kids, black kids, on a pretty bad 26-inch, like really skinny um, tyres, narrow bars, and they generally win. And there's these expats up the back <laughs> with just these like bling-as bikes coming in like a nice four-wheel drive off their thuli bars. And, and it's just like, dude, no. Uh, but, you know, the guy's got the money. He enjoys riding his nice bike, so why not? And um, But the bikes that we have for the team, we do quite a bit of mountain biking with the team for training, especially in the off-season. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the time for skill development. But the bikes we've got for the team, they're pretty bad. Uh, they're in a constant state of being repaired. But we want to put the budget into our race bikes because that's what the guys are racing on. But we just mm-hmm. keep the mountain bikes ticking over. Um, we've broken stacks of them. We've bought different bikes here in Africa and they just can't stand up to the punishment that we give them. Yeah. And I push the guys. Like, I want them to ride technical terrain. They're not great mountain bikers, but I'm always pushing them just above their limit a little bit just to, like, look, you know, when you're flying down a hill next to some guy from Team Sky at 90 kilometers an hour, you need to know how to corner and you need to know how to bunny hop that little pothole or just to take a little nudge from the guy when you're sprinting. like You need to be yeah. very, very confident on a bike, even on the road, if you're racing at the highest level. Um, and racing on a road, or trying to get skills on a road bike's hard because you make a mistake. Like tarmac really hurts. And it can be a broken arm or whatever it is, you know, and it's dangerous. So, And there's cars as well. Like if you don't know how to control your bike, and like a lot of East African drivers are quite bad, wrong side of the road all the time. They're not looking where they're going and, so you've got to be able to negotiate, you know, external factors that are out of your control in a little bit of a way. Mm-hmm. So if we can, yeah, like that was the whole reason for building the pump track. It's a, it's a small confined area. I can stand in the middle and just watch the guys go around and around and around, have a little rest, go around and around, and then I can do a specific skill. Like, you know, look where you're going through the corner, weight the outside pedal, try and lengthen mm-hmm. the inside arm, weight the front wheel, whatever it is. And just do it over and over and over again until they get bored, and then we go off and ride some trails. And yeah, um, and what made what made you want to build the pump track? Have you built just one, or have you built more than one? I've built a few now, uh, and the one that we have beside our training camp in Ten, I think it's the fifth edition. Like I build, try and rebuild it at the beginning of every season. Because by the end of the season, everyone's a bit bored of the same old pump track. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so only 70 times you can hit the same berm. <laughs> and uh, so there's that one's been changed many times. I'm just about to finish one down at a – it started off as a rafting company on a really cool river in um, sort of more eastern Kenya on the Tana River at the base of uh, Mount Kenya, sort of. And um, they run a really good professional outfit there. And now they're doing a lot of school trips. Even the British Army trains there. 
So they do some mountain bike trips out of their um, little adventure camp sort of thing. And I was good friends with him and he, we were talking months ago and he's like, oh, I'm thinking about putting in a bike track. And I was like, yeah, you should build a pump track. And he's like, what's that? And showed me a few bit of YouTube, showed me some photos and YouTube of what I've done. He's like, that'd be awesome. So <laughs> I've started, I actually started building that when I was in Europe with the boys when they were racing. And I just dropped the plan for him, sent it in. I said, look, wait till I get back. But he wanted to start. So he'd send me photos on WhatsApp and then I'd send it back and say, oh, maybe you can do this and this and change that and put this here and that needs to be bigger, that needs to be wider. So that's going to be a really cool track because it's a really big area. Uh, it's got heaps of different lines in it, lots of different options, a few jumps, so that would be pretty cool. There's been a few other pump tracks I've built, but once we had some ideas of, you know, if we built a track, if you build it, they will come, but they didn't come. And... Uh, I think because, because, like in Australia, if you go build something, every kid's got a bike. So he can make his way there after school and go ride the trail. But we build a track in Africa, and kids are like, yeah, sweet. Now give me a bike to ride on it. And yeah, so that was there was one I tried to build a bit of a hub of cycling in a completely different part of Kenya, and it just didn't work. And so in the end, we gave up sort of before it even really been started. And there was a whole lot of political stuff, and this man wanted this. And so I was just like, no. This is too much hard work. Mm. And then there was another one that we built, and the guy was going to have like a little activity center um, for people that live in the city and they want to do something on the weekend. But once I'd finished building it, he did nothing, and there was no advertising. And like, I was like, dude, I'm not running your hotel for you. I was employed to build a track, and, and I've built mm. it, and it's heaps of fun. Like, it was a 450-meter downhill pump track. Mm. And uh, that was yeah, that was pretty rad. But now I've heard it's just covered in grass and weeds, mm. and it's it's tough. Like, you know, I've got a job here with the cycling team, and that was part of it for like a month and a half was to go build this trail. Mm-hmm. But I can't. Like a big part of my job is trying to get East Africans excited about riding bikes and pump tracks or mountain bike trails or whatever it is. And get them excited enough that they'll start building it themselves. Because I can't do everything. I'm one man or there's a few of us that yeah. run the team. And But if East Africa can get excited about it, then they'll start doing it themselves and take the initiative. And so, like, yeah, I can come up with some basic ideas and hopefully even share my expertise if I have some expertise. And then hopefully they run with it. And there's a lot of things that are working like that now. And there's a couple of guys in Kenya that are running their own races and they're doing it their own way because it is different here because the traffic's different, the cops are different, the roads are different. And, mm-hmm. and it's not me doing it, which is the best thing because I'm always a visitor in Africa. I'm a white guy and I'll always be a white guy here. Even if I married a Kenyan girl and lived here for the rest of my life, I'll always be a Mzungu. I'll always be like a, a white visitor. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it's just the way it is. And you don't want to be that colonial white dude that comes in and like right africa i know what i'm doing this is what you do because that attitude does not work and there's many people that come with attitude and fail even if they have the best intentions and there's like charities and ngos that just fold all the time because africa is different things work different and it's just there's beauty about it and there's a whole lot of frustration and challenge as well um but yeah so it's slowly taking off and and the trails and the pump tracks and there's a few guys riding some pretty cool bikes and but um and it's even you know, like for the team I've got an idea of a specific bike that I want 
the team, or we don't do this testing in some schools. After the schools, we have school holiday development camps, and I want them riding a full rigid single speed mountain bike. Um, I don't even care if it's that heavy, but it's got to be super strong to just handle East Africa. And then we can run these school holiday training camps. The boys come for a week or two weeks. And we try and just teach them everything that we know about, you know, maybe even lifting weights, doing exercises, stretching, a little bit of yoga to keep your body so it can take the stress of training. And then we go out and do a mountain bike ride and just have a whole lot of fun on the trails and hopefully through that fun and going off jumps and doing skids and off little drops, the boys pick mm-hmm. up the skills. I'm not telling them do this, 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 this. We just try and create the environment and through that environment they learn in an enjoyable way. And um, But, yeah, so we're talking to a few guys in China at the moment or looking at some simple full rigid mountain bikes out there but still have good geometry. And um, yeah. you see so many bikes, it's like, oh, as long as it's full rigid and single speed, it's got to be crap. But it's like, no, you can build exactly the same geometry but just don't put gears on it and just put, put any forks but make it super strong. It's still an enjoyable bike. And if it's not too rocky, then it's heaps of fun. And um, they bunny hop real well. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And you know exactly what gear you're in all the time because you've only got one. So uh, <laughs> they're so predictable. And like I've got a full rigid single speed Kona unit, 26 inch with a pretty like wide front tire with a surly instigator fork. And it's bomb proof, that thing. Like I think my mechanics has become worse in Africa because I've got super simple bikes that, that rarely <laughs> need fixing in like every now and then they do but like i just thrash that thing and it just keeps on going because it's built to last like it's got strong yeah. stuff it's not light but it's a lot of fun in the forest so it's good and, and what's the trails like there simon you know like i know here in ireland we have got what we call trail centers you know where you have car parks and a few you know um toilets and, and things like that and and bike uh washes and, and things and then you've got designated runs and, and trails but I take it you don't have that there where you're at in, in East Africa. You know, it's just basically land that you go and you find your own trail. Is that is that the way it is there? And is it yeah. accessible to people? Yeah, 100%. There is no trail centres at all anywhere, in, as far as I know, in East Africa. Um, and it's just areas that we know. So Machakos has got a really good name for itself, and it's an area south of Nairobi. The Kerio Valley where I live and the trails I've developed where Adam and Richard live in Kajabi, where um, up in Lakepia, there's another American guy that's a really good mountain biker. He's developed or found trails in the Lakepia region. Um, Taita Hills, a few guys went there because they're just like, oh, there's some really big hills on a big flat area. And then they spent time on Google Earth and then just found some single track. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's like 15 kilometers downhill. That seems like it'd be pretty cool. But then you've got to get there and actually see if it is cool or if it's not. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's generally areas and you have to be prepared to put in time. Like you can't just pop down, yep, cool, and get yourself a cup of tea, go out for a ride, come back, grab a coffee and then off to work or go home. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the times we go to Machakos, it's a full weekend or a long weekend. Uh, if I live in E10, obviously I can ride straight out my front door and then onto some trails relatively quickly and even actually riding through the – the townships in a way a lot of them are still dirt roads and little walking paths like if there's not someone walking down the road or a sheep or a cow or a dog or whatever they are a lot of fun but yeah. it's good to, it's good to have a hope hub because it makes so much noise <laughs> the people know you're coming and uh but yeah there's no trail centers and you just got to get out there and find it 
and um, yeah. that's part of the adventure. Sometimes it's a bit tough, and you find really you can't you just can't ride it. Like you've got to hike your bike a long way, uh, and other times it's a whole lot of fun. And um, they vary a lot. Like you ten up on top of the escarpment because we live on the edge of the Rift Valley. We're at 2,300 metres altitude, sometimes 2,4, depending on where you stand. The trails in the forest are quite, it's a, the red soil here, like really clay red soil, mm-hmm. so it's like awesome stuff to ride on when it's not mm-hmm. wet and slippery. And in the forest, sometimes it gets a bit rooty, but most of the time it's relatively flowy with the odd rock, but not many. But then as soon as I drop off the edge of the escarpment, it's just rocks everywhere. And if I go to the east, like we live on the western face of the Kerio Valley, which is a tributary into the Great Rift Valley. On the west, uh, sorry, the eastern face, it's just rocks for pretty much 15, 10 to 15 kilometres. So the riding over there is very harsh, really, really hot. Um, but for some reason, I love it. Like it's current Africa. It's seriously wild. Um, there's hardly anyone even lives there because you can't really grow much stuff because it's nearly all rock and there's a few huts scattered in a few little centers and some little schools and that's another thing like those kids that live there and the people must be super tough because (laughs) you you live on rock you walk everywhere it's super hot it's like dude you're living at like almost 2,000 meters altitude and it's just like surely you're going to make a good sports person one day like they are hard people, and um, but they're like I love the riding on that side of the Kerio Valley, dropping from it's a town called Cabanet down to the Kerio River. But I've taken mates there, expecting them to have as much fun as I do, and they sort of come out like, um, oh, yeah, they didn't really have much fun. And the next time I mention, oh, we should ride there, they're like, oh, I'm busy that weekend, and I think it's just so rough and so rocky that. Apparently, most people think it's a bit too rough, but I don't know. Maybe I'm different. But uh, that's the Carrier Valley where we're riding today in Sippy. Um, it's a similar sort of red soil. Um, some of the trails are super flowy and just real fast. And then you come into some really steep technical trossy rocks. Some of it's solid, some's not. And then there's sort of like a fine grit, um, stony, sandy soil. So it can be a bit slippery if you touch the wrong break. Um and then it goes, there's sort of bands of that, and then you get back into red soil again. Uh, the Ngong Hills is really close to Nairobi, so that gets ridden a lot because most of mountain biking in Kenya, or most people that can afford good mountain bikes live in Nairobi. Uh, and the Ngong Hills is, again, that red soil, then patches of rocks. Kajabi is mostly red soil with rocks and then roots. And the KPR is a bit flowier because it's more open. Mm-hmm. Machakos is, is a really hot, dry place. Um, it's the... The Kamba tribe live in that area and they're renowned for being good at living without any water. And it's a pretty hot, dry place, but it's pretty sparse and it makes for, I don't know, probably a little bit, not really like Utah, but in some ways similar, how it's that open, small scrub. Uh, and the population density around Machakos means there is walking trails everywhere. And so the mountain biking over there, like if you want to put in the time, is just unreal. And there's hills, like hills everywhere. And it's, it's a bizarre place. Like, it's flat as, and then it's just, boom, one big hill, another one, another one, another <laughs> one, another one. And as a joke, me and a good friend, Alex, have is, a, is Ugandan-born, but has lived in Kenya his whole life, pretty much. Rides bikes a lot, and we've explored a lot of Machakos and been to the top of almost every hill. But you get to the top of a hill, and then, like, oh, there's another hill that I didn't even know existed. And there's, like, you know, there's another lifetime of riding just there. 
and you get to the top of that hill one day and it's like, ah, there's three more hills over that side and it's just, yeah, like, it's just endless possibilities. Uh, again, like if you can just put in the time and, and just go find the trails. So, and luckily there's yeah. a few guys now that, like cycling has really kicked off in East Africa in the last two years and I don't even know why. Maybe it's because even like our team's getting competitive and doing okay or that people uh, have got good jobs. They bought a telly, they bought a house, bought a car, putting a bit of weight on. Oh, I need to lose some weight. Don't like going to the gym. Mm. Um, my knees get sore from running or whatever, you know, all those reasons. Mm-hmm. And then these people are finding bikes and there's little good communities now of little bike teams or, you know, wreck rides here. There's a guy running bike tours and then there's the more hardcore dudes. So there's a really good vibe going that there's that cycling is starting to grow in East Africa and yeah. so there's more people finding more trails in different places which is is encouraging as well. Yeah, and and is there many, you know, like um, tour companies available out there to book call these through? I, I know Richard and and Adam have one there, but is there many more? Is that something that's accessible to people? You know, that would be thinking of coming over there for that kind of thing. Yeah, so it was real funny. I was just so where I am at the moment in Sippy Falls. Will Clark um, runs a rafting company on the Nile out of Ginger, and then has this lodge up on Mount Elgon. And he's thinking in a big way about pushing mountain bike holidays in the near mm-hmm. future. Um, he's just got to write up a few more of the of the official company, like he says, the boring stuff. And then, yeah, he's really keen to run mountain bike holidays over here because he knows the potential and he's a very good, yeah. like, sort of enduro-type cyclist himself. There's another guy in Nairobi called Bicycle Adventures who runs um, sort of more tour, bike tour trips. And and then and he's, he's hit the market exactly right. Like, if I was to do it, I would have found single track. I would have been at a bit gnarly. I would have done this, like, probably big days. Mm-hmm because that's what I like doing, but Rakesh has done it. Like, you might only ride 20K on a relatively smooth, flat dirt road, and then it ends with Nyamachoma or, like, barbecued meat at a, at a nice-ish place, or, like, he had you know, bike and barbecue. He's had, like, cheese tasting. He's had ride to here and then swim at the lake. And so there's sort of like a, a ride to a destination or a ride to a national park. Mm. But yeah. that's what the local Nairobi people are just soaking it up, and he's filling minibuses. Like every couple of weekends in the month, he's just killing it. Mm. So I do like, yeah, he's just hit the nail on the head. It's exactly the right time. Like sports tourism is starting to take off in East Africa. And it always been like the coast, like Mombasa, or you come to see animals and maybe go hike Mount mm. Kilimanjaro. But now there's like rafting and there's some good paragliding. There's a lot of climbing going on and mountain bike tours are definitely starting to take off. And so, I think at the moment there's just a few little places, there's a few guys in Uganda that are trying to get some things going. Um, I've sort of done a little bit of stuff, but it's just by the being with a mate or a friend of a friend. Uh, a few guys in Nairobi have been contacted and have sort of plotted a route for someone, but nothing on the big scale. But it's even something we're thinking of doing with the team. Um, and even giving then, like if one of our cyclists never really makes it, but he's fit, he knows all the trails around your town, he can ride a bike, he can fix a bike, then maybe it gives him another opportunity to earn more money in the future as a, a mountain bike guide. And um, so, yeah, again, we've just got to, you know, make an effort, write, write up a company policy, get it insured, start the company, whatever mm-hmm. it is, and, and, and find out. Because there's nice accommodation in most of these places as well. 
uh, once you look hard enough. So you can come over and, like a mate of mine said, like, look, if I'm going to come over and do a mountain bike trip, I want Africa during the day, but I want Europe during the night. And yeah. it's sort of like he wants to stay in a nice, comfy hotel with clean food and a hot shower, but he's happy to get mm-hmm. dirty and rough and hot and sunny and ride through the day, but he wants to come back to something comfortable. He doesn't want to go and sleep in a mud hut, yeah. wash out of a bucket and, you know, eat local food all the time. But um, so, yeah, it's getting there and I wouldn't be too surprised. And, and it's something I've even thought of doing, having been a mountain bike instructor in the past back in Australia. Um, that yeah, maybe I should just you know make more of an effort and start running some trips, putting a little package together with flights and hotels, and this how much will cost, and then this is where we'll ride. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's massive possibilities, uh, yeah. and even that bike packing trip we did. Part of the reason was just to see like, could I run this as a trip in the future? Uh, is it too hard? Is it are people not friendly? Is you know, are the distances okay? And like, mm-hmm. yeah, if you did that trip with us, like, you'd have to have done some cycling before. You couldn't be a beginner, yeah, but if you've ridden your bike before and you're willing to put up with some hot days and, and some big hills, and you'd love it. So, but, so, yeah, it's developing. I'd say at the moment it's definitely developing. It's not, it's not concrete yet, but, it's, yeah, it's going to take off for sure because there is so much possibility. Yeah, and do you think mountain biking there is good for the communities? Do you think it, it brings people together, you know, and uh, – and and help helps out communities and people's lives there really. Um, fifty fifty. I'm not even like with this. Like our cycling team is a different story. Obviously, it's giving people opportunity. But just when I go ride my bike, like even today, there must have been about fifty kids following us down the trail. And every time to stop, we'd scout something or we're telling telling the other guys where we're going to ride. There's 50 kids coming over, like, oh, give me some food, or oh, can I touch your bike, or oh, this, or oh, where are you from, what's your name? And it's heaps of fun, but at the same time, I feel pretty sorry for all these 50 kids. And it's just a situation, you know, they're all poor, their mum and dad have no money, they're lucky, well, they're all eating, but they got nothing. And so there is no chance this kid's going to get a bike, even like my, what is it, it's a white uh, 2x10 hardtail, um, aluminium frame so like mm-hmm. it's, it's just there's no way they can afford it and uh yeah and part of me thinks you know how even how can i build a really enjoyable super simple full rigid mountain bike because it's better than no mountain bike and um you know you either build this crappy black marmas that everyone has here that you can only go straight lines or you, you got to move up to like baseline a thousand bucks up to you know never ending ten thousand yeah. dollars yeah. And that's just so far out of their reach that it's just it just doesn't happen. And but like Will's event that he's putting on, like he's hiring a lot of people to marshal the course, thirty-three kilometres. So pretty much every single intersection of single track and roads, there's someone there in a vest telling you which way to go. So in some ways, for a day they get a little bit of money. Yeah. Um, does it have a positive impact on the community? You know, if it was a, a bike touring thing, then you would end up employing local people for yeah. mm-hmm. for logistics or shuttles or even as bike guides in the future and mechanics. Um, but, yeah, like it's still very much not like, – there's a lot of black guys in Nairobi, like local guys that have got good jobs and they're earning money and they've bought themselves a nice bike and they go out riding most weekends. Um, but for your sort of your average rural Kenyan – I think a mountain bike is still way too far out of their reach. And yeah. and like today, like I'm sure a lot of these kids, if I gave them the right size bike and a bit of time, they'd be like bombing it down these trails. Like, 
the agility that they have is phenomenal. When they're running after us down trails and you think you're doing all right, like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty good, and there's some kid running behind you. <laughs> and like, oh, damn it. Wearing damn it. <laughs> That's right, flip-flops, barefoot, a big tear in his <laughs> shorts and his bum's hanging out. And, Geez, dude, you can run. Like, holy smokes. I just do that in a bike and, yeah, like – so yeah, like you know, the the physically the people over here are impressive, and yeah. uh, and that's why the team's here and it's why I'm here. But but it's just it's a it's yeah, like, it's it's a diff- it's a massive it's a conundrum of Africa. You know, there's so many reasons why Africa is still being held back, and it's not in some way for the lack of money or like they've got oil, they've got timber, they've got big ports, mm. they've got minerals, they've got good soil, real good soil. You can grow anything in the stuff over here if there's water. And so, you know, but it, there's so many books I've read on, on why is a developing world still developing and why is Australia and America and Europe, you know, just killing it. And uh, yeah, financially, you know, maybe there's a whole lot of other things to look at, but a lot of it comes down to corruption and, and you know, Africa just has such a problem with with corruption and, and, and that in some ways when you boil it all down, it's like that's why those kids don't have bikes is because the big men that live in the cities are just thinking of themselves. And so, but it's a, it's such a difficult problem. Like it's massive. And uh, so you can't just give a kid a bike and yeah, I just don't know. Like if you got to fix the whole problem or can you go like we're trying to do with our little team and give a few guys bikes or, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's it's such a big problem. And guys are always asking me, like I came across the border in Uganda the other day and the immigration officer said, oh, next time you come here, my friend, you will come with two bikes, one for me and one for my friend. And I was like, yeah, I just laugh about it. We all have a joke. Yeah, my friend, yes, 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 and, and off we go. But I thought later, like, dude, even if I gave you this bike, you'd ride it for two days and it'd sit in a shed to get a flat tire and you'd never use it ever again. Like, yeah. like if you were that motivated to get this bike – you probably couldn't afford this one, but you go and find one like if you really wanted to. But at the same time, he's never been exposed to mountain biking. He doesn't feel flow. He hasn't nailed a good jump mm-hmm. before because that environment doesn't exist here yet. But like things are changing. People are starting to make money in East Africa in a pretty big way. And hopefully some of those people get into what I think is good recreation as opposed to sitting down watching the telly and going to cafes. But, um, yeah, but like – there is good to see the Nairobi crowd is there's a part of it is getting out and being active on a bike. So I'd say that's a real positive effect, but the rural areas, it's still, it's still uh, equipment and financial gap is just too big. There's bikes. Yeah. There is bikes that can be made for this market. Um, and that's something I've thought of often, but I'm a little bit nervous to take the step and invest in it. Um, it's a big risk and it may not work at all because everyone here wants something for the cheapest but they wouldn't understand why this bike I've brought in is better than the Black Mamba and it's like because you can't bomb a Black Mamba down a trail but you can this but maybe that's not what he wants so it's mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's a real you know it's it's not what I want it's it's what they want And but yeah. trying to say like no this is heaps cool this is a lot of fun and there are your people doing this in different places and they love it. And so, uh, but yeah, like, you know, bikes are expensive. <laughs> they break all the time. Course, yeah. So they yeah. cost money. So. <clears throat> yeah. So what, what's the future looking like, do you think, in East Africa for mountain biking, Simon? Do you think it'll, 
do you think it'll keep growing and what's the scene growing like i know you guys are getting quite a lot of enduro races there is that something that's relatively new or something that you see happening more often in the near future yeah, so it's a difficult question. I do think it's going to keep growing just because the community of cyclists is, is growing and there's young guys coming into it straight out of uni and I think that's where you're going to get guys that are going to ride enduro, like the younger, especially younger men and occasionally women. Um, but the older guys are sort of, you know, they hurt too much when they fall off. they already got too much fear. Uh, they got families, they got jobs, whatever it is. Um but there's, yeah, myself, Will, Peter, Adam and Richard um, are all trying to get an enduro circuit going just to show people that, look, there is more to mountain biking than just riding very simple single track or dirt roads. And hopefully um, just slowly, slowly by inventing these little races in different places and having a, a pseudo circuit in a way and then putting little videos on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook that are like, wow, you can actually ride that stuff. Um, that people start coming along and enjoying it. And we always try and say, like, look, we're not here to go Red Bull Rampage. We're not here to be gnarly. If you don't want to ride it, just get off your bike and walk down. Um, if you want to come along, please come. Um, if we want to go for a ride where it's, you know, like what, really steep and technical and tough, we, you won't get an invite. Um, so all the, all the guys who know it that can ride really well are super encouraging of anyone to come along. And so there'll be certain rides. So, look, we all understand that, you know, mountain biking can be scary uh, if you've never done it before or you're not that good. But no, please come along. We'll show you the easy trails. We'll skip out the tough bits and or we'll just walk. We're not in a hurry. We'll wait at every junction. So there's a really cool vibe in that way. Um, and, yeah, I think the little circuit we've got going, like I'm quite looking forward to the next month. For some reason, we've got three races coming up in two months. Um, in very different places, but they should all be quite cool. And then sort of there's like a big mountain bike race that happens on Mount Kenya every year, and it was started to raise money to plant trees on the mountain. And they, I approached them earlier in the year and said, how about putting an enduro on Mount Kenya um, on the side of your sort of, it's essentially a cross-country mountain bike race. And they're like, yeah, that sounds great. And so we're going to be going down there at the beginning of January to suss out um, some trails. I'm already on Google Maps and Google Earth looking at the terrain and, and trails that exist already pretty high up above the tree line and then down through the forest. Um, and that will be encouraging because it's already a relatively big event for East Africa and it's got good support and there's a, a big expat community involved. So we think for the first year it's almost going to be no entry fee and it's probably just going to be the guys that already like to ride that style. But hopefully in the years to come that more and more people like, oh, cool, there's this other event that you get actually drive up to the top of the hill, ride for a little bit, stop, everyone talks about it, ride slowly to the next bit, <laughs> bomb it down. And, and in some ways it's more social, you know, and you don't have to concentrate yeah. for two, three, four hours on a more of a marathon. You can just concentrate for that short bit and then eat your Mars bar, have a drink and, and keep going and grab a banana or whatever. So, yeah, I think the, the enduro thing really lends itself to quite a social race scene. You can have a whole lot of fun and obviously the bigger bikes go faster. Um, but, but yeah, so we'll see. And, but, yeah, because, like, the, the enduro-type terrain is, is all over East Africa. It's everywhere. Um, so it's a real shame when you see guys with nice bikes riding on dirt roads. It's like, dude... 
the stuff like this, <laughs> these bikes are made for that stuff. Get off the road. Like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but and again, it's just in some ways like education, like teaching people or just showing them, like, look, there is more that your bike can do. You don't have to stay on these dirt roads. And and part of me, like I even, I wouldn't say arguments, but guys every now and then tell me, oh, look, I don't know how to get in the forest. I don't. Or they, they sort of hint at what they're riding on dirt roads or tarmac on mountain bikes. And I think it's only because they're either afraid to go and have an adventure out in the woods or and Africa can be a dangerous place, you know, and mm-hmm. um, they just they just don't know how to do it if it's dangerous or not. And so I've already put up on Facebook occasionally, like, this is how I go out for a trip. This is what I take with me. And I'm even thinking for the latest bikepacking trip, just taking photos of what was in my saddlebag. You know, I took yeah. one pair of kit. I took this as a spare part. I took this, one pair of pants, blah, blah. And I rode from here and here. here. This is how I did it. Went on Google, put on my jam on my Garmin, and then just so I was like, how do I? Like a lot of people will be sitting in Nairobi or the rest of Kenya. Like, how do I actually do that? I have no idea. And um, yeah. so just like the Western world is different. You know, I was brought up. I've been went on bike rides with mum and dad, and sometimes through the forest, or there was something organised by the community or a sporting club or a bike trip, and you, so you sort of go and do it as a young boy. And you just sort of learn or it's just not a big step. You think, oh, I could do that in the future or you've got friends that have done it. Um, whereas here, all that, yeah, adventure sports is only just starting. Uh, and even mm-hmm. the term like mm-hmm. bucket list in Kenya, I've only heard uh-huh. that in the last like year. And all everyone's talking, oh, in my bucket list. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's cute, but it's like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. But it's like it's just the new thing. Oh, my bucket list is. And so mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, cool, get out there. So. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Well, things seem to be definitely on the up for you there, and that's great. And how did you get into it all, Simon? Because you're from Australia, but how did you end up being in Kenya, and why did you stay there? What made you stay there? <laughs> I don't know why I'm staying sometimes, but um, <laughs> Australia's a good country. So I came, yeah, as a I was I was relatively good at distance running when I was at school in uh, high school in Australia, and it gave me something to talk about. I was a pretty shy young kid, and but was getting success through distance running and then met a coach and he was coming to East Africa to try and figure out why is Kenya so dominant in distance running. And like when you look at the hard facts and the results, it is Kenya, Ethiopia and sort of daylight and then the rest of the world. And then there's the occasional white guy that does extremely well and then like Somalia or like Mo Farah's Somalian. And so there is anomalies, but really the depth of talent here is just phenomenal and so when he asked me would I like to come over as a I think I was 18 or 19 I was super excited and it was an it was Africa it was a little adventure and so I came over and ran um with a lot of the Kenyan distance runners and got yeah totally beaten like really badly beaten and we even entered a few cross-country running races in Kenya and I was the only white guy in the race as if my, like the, my training partner came over with me, two of us with the coach, and and but we got hammered, like totally hammered. But the crowd just yelled and cheered and screamed at us because we were having a go, like there was no other white people up here having a go. And and it was funny, like it was just a hoot. Like <laughs> I was hurting so bad and coming like pretty much last. But it's like, cool, whatever. Like, I'm running against the fastest humans on earth. Like, these guys are built to run when you look at them. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did that for a number of years and then started massaging some of the best athletes because I've been a massage therapist in the past. And 
and then would help out with the exercises and a bit of the training and obviously the massage and and just sort of yeah a bit of the coaching and stuff and and really enjoyed it when I was in my early 20s and then sort of started to get too many injuries from running and sort of got out of it and then got more into outdoor guiding and canoe guide raft guide hiking guide and then the company I worked and that for was all done that was all done in Kenya well, no, that was that the was Kenyan bit was all just I'd come for a couple of months or a couple of weeks even, oh, okay. Okay. and then go back, and then the outdoor stuff happened in Australia and a little bit in Canada, and um, and I loved it. Like I think working in the outdoors is such a cool job, especially for someone that's young. Um, and then yeah, I became a mountain bike instructor and then a trainer for the outdoor training department where I worked, and so I was sort of. T- taking a certificate four in in how to become a mountain bike instructor and then that was australia that was all in australia yeah that was in australia and mostly down in victoria and then i ran back into my old running coach who had actually been living in kenya because that was been about five years since i'd seen him working in the outdoors and then we met up just sort of by chance went for a swim at the beach and had some food and he started telling me about what was going on in kenya and obviously i knew the place from being here before and uh, from running. And then he goes, oh, I've actually met this guy who started a cycling team in, in E10. And I thought it was mad the first time I heard it. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I told him I'd been mountain biking quite a lot and I wasn't running much anymore but still keeping fit. And, and I said, actually, look, here's something that I've written on how to, you know, the three points of going around a corner, three points of climbing, going off a drop, going over rough terrain and just super basic stuff that I was teaching at a – down to Victoria and, a, and a, how to become a mountain bike instructor. And um, and as so I gave, I sent it to him as a PDF on the internet. And he sent that then to Nicholas, the, the founder of the team. And I just left a really good outdoor job in Australia because I wanted to live in a different part of Australia, closer to the beach. And the move went really badly. And uh, so they sort of said, well, you know, it was all just happened at the right time that why don't you come over and help out with this cycling team because their skills are no good but they're super strong, especially on the uphills. But they can't handle their bike, they can't descend, you know, and they're crashing quite often and you've got some mountain bike skills but you've worked. The main thing is that I've worked with sports people in Africa um, for a number of years through running not because I've never been a professional cyclist ever. Um, and But, you know, I enjoy riding my bike and I ride a road bike a little bit but do prefer spending time on a mountain bike. And I knew the coaching philosophy of the guy that was the head coach at the time. And so I was like, well, you know, being a middle-class Australian white boy, I had the opportunity to come to Africa, and if I don't like it, I just buy another ticket and I go straight back home. Whereas, you know, that's a massive thing that I've realized since coming to Africa is these guys don't have the opportunity to just fly to Australia, get a job, and if I don't like it, come back. Like It just doesn't happen. Yeah. First of all, it's almost impossible to get a visa. And then, you know, study is expensive for overseas students and blah, blah. And, but for me, I was like, yeah, why not? And then I came over and helped out. And then my role kept changing and growing and growing and growing and changing again. And, and that was sort of six years ago. Like when I came over, it was very indefinite. I had no idea of how long I would stay. Would it be a month, two months, a year, two years? I just didn't know but i was like well it's something i can do in my life and see what happens i did enjoy africa when i was here running like it was very different um but i do remember many times as a younger man like in my early 20s coming to africa and thinking i could never ever live here 
like three weeks or a month or two months, cool. Mm -hmm. There is no way I can ever live here. And yeah, six years ago. So yeah, things change and wow. and it's yeah, I think it's a sense of adventure and and it's something different. Um, financially, it's not been a good decision. Um, and at times that does get me down. Um, you know, I'm getting older and stuff, but at the same time, it's sort of it's very very different. And am I growing as a person? Like it's it's taught me a lot about myself. And a lot of times, stuff I've would have preferred if I didn't actually know. So like when it happens, like ah <laughs> oh, damn it, I was like really ah oh, damn, is that me? I got to change. Oh, oh. I just wish I never faced that and just could have left that in a dark corner and never knew about it. But now that it's happened, it's like, yeah, that's good. Hopefully, hopefully I've grown. I don't know if I have or not, but, but, um, and it gives me a different perspective on the world. And, but yeah, you know, it's hard being away from mm. Australia and family and friends, but make, make different friends here. And yeah, it's a hell of an adventure. And, um, yeah. if we succeed, it'd be nice, but well, time will tell. Yeah, well, you you seem to be doing an awesome job there, and um, <clears throat> you know you, you definitely sell the place. That's for sure. You know, <laughs> it, it sounds amazing. Yeah. And you know, like Brian Kennedy's out there now. You know, you've you're saying there's other guys interested in making, you know, kind of holiday destinations for mountain biking, and you know, I'll only grow. I think I'll only I'll only grow. Yeah, yeah. Bigger. Yeah. So get stuck in there. Don't get left in the That's side. That's right. Yeah. Ends, you, know. you grab it and run with it. So. Yeah, yeah, you've for got sure. the experience. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, here, Sam, it's been awesome having you on on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Gareth. And, so and, uh, thank yeah. you very much, and thanks for the opportunity to talk. It's quite special to be yeah on a podcast and talking to someone over in Europe, over here in Africa. So. Yeah. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, it's pretty, it, it's pretty cool, and I know you've sent me links to a, a few other guys involved, like um, like. Adam and, and Richard there and stuff. So I'll, I'll hopefully get them on and continue the the the, the Kenyan uh, theme. Yeah, for sure. Because yep. it's really different, you know. We we really don't know what's happening out there, so it's it's really good to find out what's going on and and how different it is from here too, you know. Yeah, and there is quality riding. So, like there's some just sweet as trail over here. Like, it's not trail park, and I think in some ways I actually prefer it that it's not a trail park. Like it's just mm, a wild trail. Yeah. And you don't, mm -hmm. especially on the first time, you don't know what's around the corner. Like it could be some heinous rock garden and a big drop. But, you know, you've got to be careful. And you've got to – I had a really – a mate who he worked with in the outdoors in Australia many years ago, and he's always been like at least twice as good as I am as a mountain biker. He was very, very good in the collegiate days when he was studying in the U.S. And he works mm -hmm. for Western Spirit Mountain Bike Tours now in the USA. And he's a phenomenal mountain biker, really playful, very, very skilled. And so he came over for two weeks earlier this year and we just had a blast and I yeah, treated him to a lot of the good trails that I know and we took our time getting back to E10 and had a little enduro event up in the Kerio Valley and he was like twice as fast as every other person there. Okay. But um, like he just bombs it. Like I don't think he uses his brakes. But uh, I was took him for a ride in Machakos and we was screaming down this trail and I was like, even thinking, just getting off and walking. And then I come around the corner, and there he is, splayed out in the dirt. His bike's over in a bush. And he picks it up, and he's pulled the hydraulic cable out of the dropper seat post. And it's just not working. And it's that right then, a whole lot of things just clicked in his head. This is why Simon doesn't have a dropper seat post. This is why Simon rides a hardtail. 
This is why Simon <laughs> just knocks it back 5% because where we are, if I'd have broken my arm, we are a long mm. way from anywhere. Like it is stinking hot and there is nothing, just dirt roads and then there's a crappy dirt, a tarmac road and then there's a crappy town. It's like, shit. And then right, he goes, you do have to think about where you are here, don't you? Like, yeah, and I said, yeah, you do, Wes. Like, you just knock it back just a little bit. Like, still go for it. Like, I go for it all the time. But there's that bit, like, if I really hurt myself here, then 100% I have to take responsibility for it because no one's going to help me. And there's a few air ambulance things that I'm hooked up with, you know, but, but a lot of them have aeroplanes. I was like, well, you're not going to land your aeroplane anywhere near me. So I've still got to get in a bumpy road to get to the aeroplane. <laughs> And, man, that's going to hurt, like, a lot. And so yeah. you sort of like, yeah, and so, but, you know, but now I've got a dual suspension mountain bike here with a dropper seat post because they work. Like, there's a reason why they're there. But it's, mm -hmm. yeah, like that fine balance between what's a cool bike and what's the bling because if that breaks. And in the end, that was, I think, the third day of his trip of two weeks, he was really lucky that I had a solid seat post on my good mountain bike that fit his bike. So for the rest yeah, of the wow. trip, I had to ride a single speed which is still a rad bike, but I meant I had no gears because the, I was the only seat post to fit his bike. And so he was a bit guilty. He, was, he must have felt so stupid. But I was like, well, <laughs> there you go. So, yeah. but it's, yeah, it just, it, he recognized at that instant, ah, this is now mountain biking in Africa. So now it makes sense. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, there's guys with all the same bling, you know, specialized enduro, full carbon, drop a seat post, XT, hydraulic brakes, the whole deal carbon wheels but yeah you just got to think about it like you know things yeah. break here it could be a month before a mate comes back with that part and um so wow but yeah it's, it's very yeah, very be different. interesting to see how brian gets on eh? yeah it'd be rad and i'm looking forward to seeing his little movies and and it's funny yeah danny mccaskill came over here with hans ray i think it was the beginning of this year actually but unfortunately, they kept it a secret, and then we found out through the grapevine and uh, tried to get in contact with the guys. There was a little tour company that runs sort of more outdoor school trips. They got hold of it, and but they wouldn't really give us any info, and then they told us all the information the day left Kenya. And I said, look, dude, like the Kenyan cycling community would have been over the moon to meet Danny McCaskill, even just to go up to him, watch him bunny hop over something and you know, have a cup of tea with him or just say hi. Like, like we, because like, we're away from it all here. Like, people would have loved it. And he's, he did feel a bit silly once I told him why we were constantly ringing his phone for like four days in a row. But I was like, dude, like, you know, and, and so Pony Danny went up Mount Kenya and got altitude sickness because he was going to ride off the top. And then, uh, so then they had to fly him back down into a hospital and he was fine. Then they went to Mount Kilimanjaro. And I don't know if he got all the way to the summit, or but I have seen little bits of YouTube footage, like a 10-second clip, five-second clip of him like doing a mad bunny hop off something. So there could be a yeah, Danny McCaskill, Hans Ray video coming out. I don't know. Well, I thought it would have been out by now. Um, or maybe because the trip didn't work that well, they, they didn't have enough footage. I don't know. But, yeah, like, you know, right. if Danny's here and now Brian's here, it's like, you know. People are finding South Africa. Yeah. The South African mountain bike scene is going through the roof. There's so many dudes riding mountain bikes down there, but South Africa is different to the rest of Africa. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's definitely growing, and and there's good guys riding. And, you know, Will's events cool. His trails are amazing, and Adam and Richard, and then stuff down the coast with Peter. And there's a few young guys in Nairobi that are too busy at school, but once they finish 
or they're off on school holidays, they do quite a bit of riding. So that's good. Like it, it keeps me excited as well. I think it makes it easier for me to stay here and work with the team when it's a slow process that I know when I go and have try and have some fun, I can ride with some guys that can can really ride and it's it's a whole lot of fun so um yeah an adventure yeah awesome well mm. you say you seem to you seem to still be enjoying it yeah, enjoying it enough yeah. yeah 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 excellent well thank you very much simon that has been awesome and um hopefully we might get you on sometime in the near future and see what's happened down there if there's any advancement or yeah for sure if you've started an adventure company or something yep. you know you never know yeah yeah no it's it's in the it's in yeah i'm definitely thinking about it so it's, yeah. um it'd be cool and thanks heaps and yeah and if if people want to get in contact with us then we're all open to taking people out for a ride like all the guys i ride with and um we're on facebook instagram and youtube so um if you want to come over for a ride yourself then yeah drop us a line and we're more than happy to show you around yeah and i'll stick all the links and stuff like that on the show notes so people can uh, find out more about you and, and get involved if that's what they're wanting to do yep and uh you know maybe just say hello or whatever yeah for sure thank you so that'll be awesome thanks very much Simon appreciate it awesome thanks Gareth thank you so much Simon for coming on the podcast I really enjoyed that episode and thank you so much for sharing your stories and everything that's going on there in East Africa it really is exciting and I hope you guys can get that whole thing going in the near future I know you are trying really hard so folks if you enjoyed that episode and you want to hear more from Simon or more from other people in East Africa helping things out there just visit the show notes at mtb-tribe.com all Simon's links are on there and you can get involved and give him a shout out I'm, I'm sure he would really appreciate that if you're enjoying the show and want to get more involved you can visit the website at mtb-tribe.com you can subscribe there and get an insider scoop to what's happening on through the week um, now there's more to come on that in the future so um, it will be updated in, in near the near future just with more relevant info and stuff so giving you a wee bit more stuff just before things go live on the podcast you can also leave comments there there is a comment section if you want to hear from anybody on the show um, or if you want to make suggestions of who you would like to hear on the show I do read all the comments, so if you do that, I will get back to you. If you're listening to the show on iTunes, please leave a review. And five stars is always the best, of course. And share the show if you would. That always helps and it's brilliant. You can also follow the show on Stitcher if you're listening via Android. And also on socials, you can get us on Instagram at MTV Tribe and Facebook at MTV Tribe. So that is much appreciated, folks. I really enjoy having you guys here and listening to the show. And it makes it all worthwhile doing this just to give you guys a wee bit more information and maybe introduce you to some people that you would never have heard um, from in the first place Um, so i hope you're enjoying the show thanks for being here have a great week guys and um, i'll see you on the trails